Ephesians 2 teaches us the good news. It says to the believer that you were dead, but God has made us alive together with Christ. And so if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is your story. The good news is that from death to life, the Christian is a display of God's grace and kindness. And so your story involves you. It certainly does. But ultimately, it's less a story of us as it is of God's work in us. It's a story that begins with our deadness and sin. And is all about God's riches and kindness, His mercy and grace. And so as we look at the scriptures this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, if you would turn there, I want you to consider to yourself, can I say that this is my story? Do I believe that I am a sinner that is saved only by God's grace? And if we can say that that is our story, that this is what we believe, then how is that changing the way that we live today? Has it changed anything in your life? The story of every Christian is a story of God's wonderful work of grace. He brought us from death to life to display his riches in mercy and kindness and love. I want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 and we'll start in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The text this morning begins with, you were. This is who we were as believers before we knew the Lord. This is our part, in a sense, in the gospel story. According to the Bible, humankind is not just sick or in danger of dying, but dead. Absolutely and completely dead. Think about a dead person. Can a dead person tie their shoe, shoelace? Can a dead person dress themselves or hear you when you talk to them? They can't do anything. A corpse is lifeless and helpless. They can't respond to you. In the same way, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our sins. 
dead to the reality of God, that we did not know or love Him. And we could not save ourselves. Living without God, no matter how physically fit you are or how much uh, smarts you got up in your brain, is still, it's nothing more than a living death. Living apart from God. In rebellion against God. And the passage goes on to describe the life of a dead person because unlike someone who's physically dead and in the grave the one who is dead to the Lord walks around and talks and lives like we all live so what what does it mean what does it look like to be dead the text talks about following the ways of the world, following the devil, and following our own desires, the desires of the flesh. The first thing that the passage talks about is that the dead person is following the course of this world. Verse uh, 2. The dead person loves the things of the world and is conformed to the world's way of thinking. And what, how would we think of the world's way of thinking? Well, it was described to me that really there's only two ways of looking at the world when we boil it down. There's those who worship and love and serve and acknowledge the God of the Bible, our Creator, and those that worship the creation. And so the dead person like the rest of the world, either ignores God, is, is hostile to God in rebellion, or has twisted the God of the Bible into a God of our own image, the God that we want. Those are some of the ways that a dead person thinks, but they are dead to the reality of the true God not knowing or believing or understanding the truth. I want to read um, 1 John 2, 15-17. This is a, a warning to those who do believe not to fall into loving the world and the ways of the world. It says in 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so the one who is a, a dead will choose the world's ways over God's ways. And many times in the world we say, well, look at all the good people, right? People are capable of doing much good. 
and of believing things very close to the truth. And yet godliness, or doing good things, I'm going to say it's not really godliness. Godliness without Jesus is worldliness. Without the biblical Jesus who died for our sins, without the truth of this passage that we were dead, but only through Christ and his grace were we made alive. And so that's the distinction between one who loves the world, who follows the ways of the world, and the one who knows God. The dead person follows the way of the world, and the dead person is ruled by the devil. He is their influence, their ruler, and they dance to his tune, a tune that is really composed of lying and murder and death. Does not end anywhere good. This is a reality that sometimes we dumb down or forget about, but you are in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And those who are dead to God are under the power of the devil. And yet, the passage goes on to say that the dead person follows their own desires. Enslaved under the influence of the world and of the devil, they are still held accountable for their sin. Satan is at work in the sons of disobedience, as our text tells us. But who disobeyed? We were the ones who disobeyed, the ones living in sin and following the desires of our flesh. This has been the pattern since the beginning when Satan came before Adam and Eve in the garden. And he lied to them and he influenced them. And he tugged on all the strings, you might say. But they chose to eat that fruit. And so their blame game didn't work. When God came before them and, and Adam said, well, it was Eve. And, and Eve said, well, well, the serpent made me do it. God said, well, did you, did you eat it? He didn't tell them, say this, but they ate that fruit of their own choice. And so God holds the dead person responsible for their sin. There was a story I was told once. A mother asked her daughter, Sally, why did you let the devil make you kick your brother and then pull his hair? And, and the little girl thought for a moment and, and she said, well, mommy, the devil made me kick him, but pulling his hair was my idea. And it's a silly story, but I think it makes a good point. This little girl understood the devil might influence her, but, but she still had this brilliant idea to pull his hair. She was, uh, she couldn't, uh, she was responsible. We're not passive in the story of our lives, but the things that we bring to the table are simply sin and death. So, we, we come with nothing. 
In fact, it goes on to say that the dead person is a child of wrath by nature. That is to say, we're under God's wrath from birth. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to Nicodemus, he said, those who do not believe are condemned already. John 3.18 And so the truth of God's word is that you and I lived under the wrath of God until Christ took the wrath of God upon himself at the cross. So that it is only in our relationship with Christ and believing in him that we are not condemned. It is only in him that we are born again. to life and not to condemnation. One final point. There's a lot of things in here about what does it mean? What does it look like for, to be dead? Who is dead? The text ends by saying, and you were, goes on through all these things and then says, like the rest of mankind. Literally, the text says, like the others. That phrase leaves no exceptions. As the psalmist writes, there is none who does good, not even one. That's written twice in the Psalms. Psalm 14 and 3, 53-3. Paul takes that idea in Romans as well. It leaves no exceptions. All of humanity is dead apart from Christ. And so our part in our story, our part in the story of the gospel and God's work is a story of our sin, of following the world and the devil and our own desires in rebellion against God. It's a story of being dead to the reality of God, unable to do anything to save ourselves from the wrath of God. You think about that often? We like to jump to the next verse. You all know what it says in some way. You can maybe paraphrase it. But this is who we were, that we were dead. Unable to save ourselves. In Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you know that God is rich? That he has unlimited riches in mercy. But he is not content to simply be rich in mercy and grace. It's not stored up in, in heaven somewhere lock, under lock and key. That he, he shows it off and pours it out upon the world. My friend Trip Lee once said, and he's not really my friend, but he's a guy that I 
sometimes listen to and, and read some of his stuff. But he once said the problem with rich people is they think the world revolves around them, but we all know that it doesn't. And so they flaunt their wealth and we don't like it because it's not right in many ways. He went on to say there is somebody the world revolves around. The universe does revolve around God, and so he should act like it, and we should treat him as if it, do, as if it does. God is saying, look at me. I am rich in grace, and I'm rich in mercy. And I'm all that you could ever need. Instead of just flaunting his wealth and, and showing it off and, and keeping it to himself, he pours out his riches on his worst enemies. On the people who think the world revolves around them. And he gave us the most wonderful thing he could possibly give us. Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His unique Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do we understand how staggering that is? Look at God's actions in these verses. He loved us. He made us alive, and not only made us alive, but He exalted us. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. And He has prepared for us good works. Verse 10. Your story is a story of God's work in you. Think of the story of, of Lazarus. What was Lazarus well known for? Anybody think, what did he do? How do we know him? Well, he was known for being a dead guy in a tomb. There's really not much we know at all about him besides his name and, and that he was dead. We know about his sisters. But the notable part of Lazarus' story is that Lazarus was dead and Jesus made him Alive. The notable part of our story is what Jesus did, that we were dead. But Jesus has made us alive. And not only that, the text, it kind of says, it says, by grace you've been saved, and it goes back to what he was saying and says that he has seated us with him in the heavenly places, raised us up to be with him. Though we reside on this earth physically with all kinds of problems and troubles around us, our spiritual position is in heaven with God. Earth is not our home. We have access to the Father and life in the Spirit. The riches of God's kindness and mercy are so great that He raised us up with Him. 
to be with him in glory. And so again, your story is is about who? It's about God. It is a story about his great kindness, his work of grace. There is no one else who can raise the dead. No one else who loves his enemies enough to send his son to die. Your story, the story of every lost sheep that is found, every dead person raised to newness of life, every son that comes home to his father, is worthy of rejoicing. Praising God that he would step into our story and change our lives because of his endless kindness. There is no better news than that. Ephesians 2 verse 8, the text goes on. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one might boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. that We should walk in them. How were you saved? Was it because of who you were? No. You were dead in sin unable to help yourself was it something you did no because right a dead person that's like saying a dead person could tie their shoes it's as helpful as trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the titanic it's a sinking ship we are saved by grace god's undeserved favor Received through faith. And the text goes on several times to make it clear. This is not your own doing. In other words, this may be our story and we may have a part in it, but it is not our work that has saved us. We are not the notable part of our story. Our faith in God is a response to God's great faithfulness, to the work which he has done through the cross, so that we can rely on a God who has shown himself to be completely reliable in all that he has done in his dealings with us. He has been faithful and he has been full of mercy. Text goes on to say that all of this salvation by grace through faith is a gift from God. It's a gift. And in case we haven't gotten the picture yet again, it's spelled out for us that it is not a result of works. It is not your own doing. It is a gift. It is not a result of works. He's repeating himself in different ways to teach us and remind us that there is no earning or repaying grace. For a couple of reasons, and we could talk a lot about this. The first is it is a free gift 
out of the kindness of God's heart. So why are we seeking to, and in a sense we're seeking to sort of one-up God, to prove ourselves. We have to bring ourselves and our story somehow into the picture instead of it being all of God's grace. And secondly, the reality is the cost of salvation. You think about that? God went to the cross and died for your sins. Can I repay that? Can you repay that? Uh, No, it's infinitely greater than anything we could offer God. Paul puts it this way in Romans In chapter 11, verses 34 and 35, he says, he's amazed. He says, who's known the mind of God or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? How can we do that? How could we offer to him a gift that there is nothing we can give? Everything good in life is a gift from the Creator. And it is no less with salvation. And all of this, salvation by grace through faith, not of yourselves, or, yeah, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not of works. All of this is so that no one may boast. This is the reason we need to recall who we were. We recall God's work, that it is His work, so that no one may boast. Why can't we boast? Why couldn't I say, look at me, I'm saved, and hold myself on a higher plane than others? Well, because it's not my work. What did I have to do with my story? All that we brought is sin and death. And so there is no cause for prize, pride in accepting God's gift of salvation. Because salvation is not our work. In fact, verse 10 tells us, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship speaks of a master craftsman's work of art, something that they have created. We are his well-crafted masterpiece in Christ. Not in ourselves, but in Christ. You know, it's amazing to me, I think about what it is to be human, and it's a wondrous thing that God has made human being. But the ultimate workmanship of God that is described here is a human being who is completely dead in their trespasses and sins, but has been made alive in Christ. R. Kent Hughes wrote that such a person not only owes their very existence to the one who holds all things together, but also has been made a new creation so that we are new. The old is gone as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that who you were does not define you. It is a part of your story. It is what you brought to the gospel story. 
but it does not define you. The Christian cannot say that they are dead in sin, that they are enslaved to the devil, the world, following their own desires. Yes, we, we are very capable of sin. But it is not what masters us. It does not have to be the thing to which we fall back to. Those that God has made new, those who are God's workmanship, display His grace in our relationship with Jesus. And we were created in Christ, as the text tells us, for good works. So that our conversion is not the end of the story, but the beginning. In Christ, we are already a part of the new creation. And God has planned out good works, which he will help us to accomplish. We cannot earn the gift of salvation. We cannot repay it. But we were created in Christ to walk in newness of life instead of going back to those dead pursuits. We were not made new so we could remain dead and hang around the grave for as long as we can before Jesus calls us home. We were made new to live in thankfulness and love, walking in the good God has called us to do. The story of the Christian is one of our sin and God's grace, our deadness and God's power in Christ. All we bring to our story is our deadness and sin. But God brings his riches of mercy and grace. Now, what are we going to do with this knowledge then? How does this change the way that we look at our lives today? There is so much here. I believe the implications of the gospel will take an eternity to unravel. A lifetime to to understand what is just a drop in the bucket. But I want to suggest two important applications from the text that uh, I think we need to constantly be reminded of. You know, these kinds of things we need to be reminded of. Well, in verse 11 or 12, it's going, Paul is going to say again, remember who you were because it's so important that we continue to remember. Your story, when you think about your life, when you think about um, God and what He has done, it leaves no room for boasting in you. This is what verse 9 tells us. But it does give you every reason for boasting in the Lord. When we look at our past and who we were without Christ, it is all too clear that we were no different than the rest of mankind. 
There was nothing there in and of ourselves that we could lay hold of and say, it is because of this that God saved me. Well, you know what it is because of? It's because of his love and his mercy and his work of grace. And so when we look at who saved us that we had nothing to do with our salvation, how can we boast in ourselves? It's a question I have to ask myself many times when I am starting to go back to that where I am I'm wanting it to be about me. Wanting the world to revolve around me when I know that it doesn't. Our works were only dead works, but God's work is perfect. And so I've said this before, we bring what? We bring our sin, we bring our hopelessness, our deadness, but God brings His riches of grace and of mercy. And so knowing God's wonderful work in our lives is a provides us every reason to boast in God, to praise God, to worship God for all that He has done. A gift does not have to be earned or repaid, but usually, at least I was taught by my mother, I was supposed to thank people for my the gifts that were given to me. And of course, if I didn't like the gift, I didn't do it out of a very right heart, but I did it anyway. But when we consider the greatness of God's gift, of himself, of all the mercy that he has shown to us in our hopeless condition, feel like we should be a little thankful that in fact that thankfulness which and joy in him would be what drives our life and worship and thankfulness is more than just a few words it's more than just some singing some songs on sunday True worship is being satisfied in God, in the God of our salvation. Leaving the things that we once lived for behind and delighting in Him. God who gave Himself for us. So I would ask us to consider, in light of your story and of God's work in you, is my boast in myself, am I still making it about me? Or is it in your God and His grace? And I I also want to remind you that your story continues. And God continues in His grace to work in our lives. We are God's masterwork created to walk in the good works that God has prepared. And his work will continue to produce the fruit of someone who has been made alive. What fruit is evident in your life? How could you say that you are different than the rest of the world?
We can say and do a lot of good, but only Jesus can make a thorn bush into a grapevine that produces real fruit. Think about what you're really saying with your life. The testimony of every Christian is not their work, but it is God's continued work in us. And so as we heard today from different testimonies, and we may this be the, our heart that we do not see that it is us that is doing these things, but it is only God and he continuing in his grace to change us. To show us again his mercy so that we would again be thankful and filled with joy in him. We were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. Hope that we begin to see how this changes everything. And that we would seek to know the gospel well. Because it is our story in Christ.